Thanks be to God. Amen. For our scripture lesson this morning, we're going to read the 126th Psalm. Um, I invite you to read along in your pew Bibles with me on page 572. Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our, lie, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore then our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears of sorrow will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray for the one who preaches? He needs it this morning, and his sins are many. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, give us courage and strength. Give me the courage and strength so that something of what I say and do, or at least something of what is seen and heard of me today, may not be of me. May it be of you and your promises in our lives, the things you've done for us and the things you'd have us do for you in this your world. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. What happens if we don't rake the leaves? When I first got here to First Presbyterian Church of Dunn seven and a half years ago, our youth group had this annual event every fall. We called it the Rake and Run. Some of you will remember it, some more fondly than others. Uh, what would happen is one mid-October afternoon, everybody would grab a rake and we would pile into the back of a couple of pickup trucks and we'd drive around the neighborhood, we'd drive around town to the homes of different church members and we would rake the leaves from their yard, we would clean up their yard every fall as an act of service to others and to the community. We haven't done the rake and run for a few years now. Part of the reason was COVID, part of the reason was logistics, but the big reason, the main reason we don't do it anymore is because it has become harder and harder to plan for. As the climate has slowly shifted, it's been harder and harder to predict exactly when the leaves will fall on the ground for us to rake them. So do you plan for the rake and run in mid-October, or do you plan for it in early December, which is about the time sometimes you would have to do it given the year? Because the seasons change, and they change on God's time and not on our own, but they change nonetheless. It happens, eventually the sun starts to arrive later and later for her morning appointment, and then she starts to knock off work earlier and earlier in the evening, and every day grows more and more tired, unable, she's unable to reach the same heights in the sky that she could when she was younger and spry back in July, back in June, back in the spring. And the length of our days, they start to grow shorter and shorter. 
And the light in the sky grows dimmer and grayer, and the warmth of the summer begins to wane. It happens every year on God's time and not our own. Autumn is not a bright season, but that doesn't mean it's an ugly season. Quite the contrary, uh, autumn always arrives with a beautiful blast of colors. They aren't the same glorious colors that you see in the summer and the spring as the flowers bloom and the eggs hatch. Instead, you get these reds and these browns and oranges and grays. But there's a glory to it, autumn. It's a second glory that you get in the year, an echo of spring, a late glory in the cycle of the seasons. But this second glory is always just a spark. Because once the seasons start to turn, whenever they turn, on God's time and not our own, in a matter of weeks, sometimes in a matter of days, the leaves on the trees begin to lose their life. And the firm and the flush figure of the leaves starts to turn brittle and they wither and their stems erode the way and, and, and the wind blows them loose and they fall. The leaves fall from their branches, at first just a few of them at a time, then they start to fall in droves until the trees are left naked and shivering in the winter's cold and our summer grass becomes scattered in a thick layer of debris. When this happens, we tend to dislike the fallen leaves that are covering the ground. They crunch and they scratch under your feet as you walk. You have to kick them out of the way. The leaves and the debris, they swirl in the wind and they cover our porches and our sidewalks and our patios, and our driveways, much less our yards. They clog up your gutters and your drains and you have to bust out a ladder and climb up. Get your hands dirty to clean them out. And the sight of these leaves laying around, if they aren't tended to, makes things look messy and unkept, decaying. No one wants to watch things decay. We want things to preserve. We want things to remain the same. So we have rake and runs. We buy our rakes and leaf blowers and we go out and we clean up the mess in our yards. We leave piles of leaves up on the edge of the street where our kids can go and make a game of jumping in them and tossing them around until city workers come and they take the leaves away out of sight, never to be thought of again, where we never have to see them again, at least not until next year. But what would happen if we didn't rake the leaves? You can imagine that I have thought long and hard about what I want to say to you all, my church, this morning. This has been a hard week of sharing hard news. We love you, my family. We love our lives here in Dunn. We love this church deeply, and we're really excited about the new adventure that's coming our way. We're excited about the Kirk of Kildare and Kerry. But this has still been a very hard week. And the only word that I can come up with to describe the predominant feeling that I have been feeling all week long, and even before that, is grief. 
And I know that many of you are feeling that same feeling as well, that feeling of grief because you have told me so. And we have grieved together and we will continue to grieve together. And so as your pastor, I felt a deep responsibility to think about what I needed to say to you all this morning. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it. And the only passage that kept coming up on my heart over and over again is my favorite psalm. I preached on it only one time in the seven and a half years that I've been here. It was the summer of COVID that I preached on it. It's Psalm number 126. A lot of people don't know this one. It's not one of the greatest hits. It's not like Psalm 23 or 22 or 40 or 139. It's a really short psalm. It's so, psalm, it's so short that you could, you could just go right over it if you were reading along and not even know it was there. But as I prayed, this seemed like the appropriate one to share with you all this morning. So let's take a look. It starts like this, with a word of joy. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues a song of joy. Then it was said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them, the nations say. So here what you have is a memory of a glorious season of God's work in the life of God's people. The psalm doesn't tell us exactly what the great things are, but they aren't hard to imagine. Success, prosperity, blessing, growth, Peace, comfort, exciting new things that you can feel and see what God is doing. Whatever these things are, the memory of them are, are great to the psalmist, and they are not distant. You can imagine that the psalmist writes this line, this line about how it was said amongst the nations that great things, God has done great things for them. You can imagine that the psalmist writes this line with a smile because the power of the great things that God has done is still fresh. The proof of God's work in the midst of God's people still lingers. And they can see the evidence of it all around them. Here's the next line. And the Lord has done great things for us, the psalmist confirms. And we are filled with joy. But there's also this sense in the psalm that the season has begun to turn. And while the fondness of this memory past lingers, there is a sense of sadness over whatever the great things are, that they are in the past, that they must be left behind. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert. May all those who sow in sorrow reap with shouts of joy. May all those who sow in sorrow reap with shouts of joy. May all those who sow in sorrow reap with shouts of joy. 
When the seasons turn and the leaves fall to the ground, our first instinct is to tidy things up. We pull out our rakes and our blowers and we pile them up on the edge of our streets and we keep looking to make things fresh and clear again. We don't like the messiness of autumn's arrival. It looks unkept. But even when you rake your leaves and you tidy up your yard, the trees still stand naked and shivering in the winter cold. And your grass is still going to turn brown. And the sky is still going to turn gray and overcast. And it'll stay that way. It'll happen and it will stay that way no matter how much tidying up, how much raking you do until on God's time, the spring will finally come with new life. And so if you think about it that way, it begs the question, what happens if we don't rake the leaves? What happens if you just leave the leaves, the autumn debris scattered all right across the ground. Well, it's not going to look pretty. It's not going to be neat. But the elements will beat down on them. And the brittle and orange leaves will, will, will start to break apart into smaller and smaller pieces. And the decay and the rot will break the leaves down and they'll continue to break down all winter long. And the rain will come and it'll wash those little beet bits into the mud and, and it'll look unkept. It'll look unsightly. You'll get the mud on your pants as you walk through it all. But if you don't rake the leaves... They become soil. They turn into dirt. They return to their elements. Dust to dust. Earth to earth. Ashes to ashes. Just like you. Just like me. Just like all of us. May all those who sow in sorrow reap with shouts of joy. One of the only things I know for certain is that change is a part of life. And sorrow and grief then are a part of change, which is a part of life. There's nothing in this world that remains the same, save from the power and the grace of God. Seasons of life come and seasons of life go, and it's not at all predictable when they are going to change. They change on God's time. Sometimes a change in the season arrives much later than you expected. You thought the summer would be over long ago, and sometimes it seems like it should have ended long ago and things drug out way too long. Sometimes the season turns quickly by surprise when you least expect it and it leaves you in shock. But one way or another, the season always comes to turn and when it turns, it turns on God's time and not on our own. The leaves fall 
And a new season has to begin. The Christian faith is not about keeping things to the same. Understand that? It's easy to think that it is, but it's not. The Christian faith does not ask us to preserve anything. What the Christian faith does is give us the courage to persevere. If anything, the story of the cross confronts you with grief, even when you aren't ready for it, if anyone could ever be ready for it. But at the same time, for the Christian, grief is always coupled with a word of unending, everlasting hope. Because as Christians, we know that any moment of defeat, however great or however small we might feel that defeat, is never in fact a defeat at all. Because the final victory has already been won. And this means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And that new and better things lie ahead, even if you can't imagine them. Yet. You don't have to imagine them. Because God has. And if you could accept that gift the trust that God has imagined the new and better thing, it means that the memory of the great things God has done that the nations brag about in our midst need not be a sorrowful thought of a season past. Instead, they can be a hopeful glimpse of another season in the future where God will do more great things. Even though we haven't imagined them yet. This is the real glory of the autumn. It's not the changing colors, the second spark of life right before the fall. The real glory is that the nutrients that abide from summer's past, still waiting, uh, fall down in those leaves into those soil, and they feed those tiny seeds and acorns, some so small that you can barely see them scattered about through the mud and the ground. They become food, fertilizer, not only for new trees to be born, but also from the very trees that bore the leaves to begin with. They become the very means for the new life that God promises will spring forth in the spring when the time comes on God's time. And so now, for all of us, including me, it is appropriate for us to sow in sorrow. But we can do so in the sure and certain hope that soon again, we will reap with shouts of joy. May all those who sow in sorrow reap with shouts of joy. So, beloved of God, so we're entering into a season of transition here at First Presbyterian Church. Things are going to be changing. They're going to change for my life. They're going to change for your life. The leaves are falling. Things are going to get messy. 
They're going to look a little unkept. And you will feel the urge to get out your rakes and start tidying things up. If I could leave you with one piece of advice, just don't overdo it. Have a little patience that God is at work in what God is doing. It'll be okay. Even if you don't rake the leaves, it'll be okay. Know that this season of change is necessary. Know that the trees will stand naked and shivering in the wind for a winter, one way or another. But trust that even as we speak, God is already growing the seeds of new life in some ways that we can't even imagine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen.